Welcome to the Good Research Podcast, where we talk about those topics that most interest you, helping you make your research study the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Dr. Lauren Seifert. This is episode six of Good Research. I am Dr. Lauren Seifert, and the Good Research podcasts are for research students, as well as researchers who would like to brush up on research techniques and methods. In the first four episodes of Good Research, I discussed four basic questions that should be answered before a researcher's work begins. Those questions relate to ontology, epistemology, generalizability, and reflexivity. I described basic tips for devising a research question, and I guided listeners through an exercise with the four basic questions so that they might better understand their own assumptions and be more apt to select a research orientation that fits their assumptions. In addition, I described the varieties of research, including observational studies, case studies, surveys, quasi-experiments, and true experiments. Afterward, I went on to describe a basic approach to qualitative research, comparing various research orientations as I described it. In episode five of Good Research, we explored null hypothesis significance testing in conventional or traditional science. I described a bit about the scientific method and how we can make predictions and test them with conventional research techniques. Let's move on to explore basic techniques relating to gathering research participants. We call this sampling, and it is an absolutely vital part of good research. As we do so, I would like to indicate a useful resource at www.clovepress.com. Clove Press Limited is dedicated to good research, and the free downloads at clovepress.com include a beginner's guide to behavior research methods that I authored. It provides a succinct description of many aspects of research, including some of the most popular sampling techniques. I hope you'll visit the Clove Press website in order to download this valuable free guide. Now, let's dive into the most important distinctions you'll need to make when determining how to gather participants for your good research project. First, we need to define two terms, sample and population. The population that relates to your good research study is the larger group from which you would like to invite research participants. If you are conducting a study with conventional traditional methods, 
then the population is also the group about which you hope to draw conclusions. That is, the population is the group to which you hope to generalize your research results. So the population is the larger group from which your sample is derived. And your sample is the group of subjects that will actually take part in your study. So how do you get research participants? Well, this is done through the process of sampling. There are myriad ways of sampling. You may have heard of convenience sampling, snowball sampling, random sampling, and representative sampling. Indeed, there are so many sampling types that it would be impractical for me to try to cover all of them in one podcast. Instead, I'm going to describe the most important distinction in sampling. It is whether the sampling method is probabilistic or non-probabilistic. Once you understand this distinction, then you will be much more able to understand the various kinds of sampling. And I'll give you some examples of each. The most basic distinction in sampling methods is whether the researcher knows the chance that any given member of a population will be asked to take part in her or his study. If the researcher does know the chance, then we call the sampling method probabilistic because the chance of probability of a specific person from the population being invited into the study can be stated. Examples of probabilistic sampling are random sampling, representative sampling, and population sampling, just to name a few. In random sampling, each member of a population is equally likely to be asked to take part in the study. And usually the researcher uses a random number table or a random number generator to make the selections of participants who are invited. Because of the way that random number generators work, each member of the population is just as likely to be picked as any other member. In representative sampling, a researcher will divide a population into subgroups. For instance, in a study about religious practices in the U.S., a researcher might want to make sure that all religious groups are represented in the same sample in proportion to their sizes as subgroups in the overall population. Some subgroups may not be present in as large a numbers in the population as others. And so it would be important to make sure that those groups are represented as they exist in the population. What are their relative sizes? This will help the researcher to better draw conclusions about the subgroups themselves. In population sampling, the chance of any particular person being invited from the population to take part in the study is 100%. That's because every member of the population will be invited when population sampling is used. Now 
that we've taken a look at probabilistic sampling, let's consider the other major category of sampling method. It is non-probabilistic sampling. In non-probabilistic sampling, the chance of a specified member of the population being invited to take part is not known. And examples of non-probabilistic sampling are convenience sampling and snowball sampling. In convenience sampling, a researcher simply invites those members of the population who are most available to her or him. And the most common examples exist at universities and hospitals where students and patients are most available and as a consequence are the most frequently studied subjects. In snowball sampling, which is very commonly used to study special populations or hard to reach populations, a researcher will try to find one or a few members of a given population and then use them to access other members of that population. For example, an investigator might wish to more fully understand the experiences of Somali refugees in Minneapolis, Minnesota. However, the researcher might not be part of the population in question. As such, he or she might ask particular persons who are from Somalia and who have emigrated to Minneapolis to help gain access to other individuals who are from Somalia and who have emigrated to Minneapolis. Now that we have an idea of the two main types of sampling, probabilistic and non-probabilistic sampling, and now that we have a sense of at least some subtypes of those sampling methods, let's take a look at a hypothetical project. Let's imagine that we would like to conduct a quasi-experiment to better understand the potential influence of a diet intervention for persons with type 2 diabetes compared to those without it. We want to use the person's diagnosis, that is, whether they have diabetes or don't, as a quasi-independent variable. This means that we will treat the presence or absence of type 2 diabetes as if it were something we had manipulated, even though it is not something that we can manipulate. People come into the study with it or without it. We don't have any control over that. That's what makes this study a quasi-experiment. We are using a subject variable a characteristic that subjects already possess and acting as if it's something that we manipulated. So everyone in this study will get the same kind of education related to diet and sugar intake and all subjects' blood sugars will be monitored. In the end, we'll compare health outcomes across the two groups. If we were conducting a true experiment rather than a quasi-experiment, the independent variable would be something that we could manipulate, and then we, we could randomly assign subjects to conditions, to groups, that is. However, in this case, because we are performing a quasi-experiment, our main concern is to gather subjects that have the characteristics we need. We need some of them to have 
to, to actually be persons who have the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes and some of those who don't. So how should we sample? Well, if we were to use probabilistic sampling, the, mes the best method would probably be to use random sampling and hope that we could get fairly equal numbers of people who have diabetes and those who do not. Since diabetes is sadly fairly common in the general population, we would most likely achieve our goal. That would be a probabilistic method that would most likely work for this particular research problem. Or we could take a non-probabilistic approach and sample by convenience or by snowball. Unfortunately, one drawback of using a non-probabilistic method is that people who are sampled because they are readily accessible to a researcher may share other traits that introduce confounding variables in a study. Therefore, it is critically important to carefully evaluate whether non-probabilistic sampling can be safely used without introducing such confounds. Overall, the probabilistic methods are preferable to the non-probabilistic ones because they are less likely to introduce confounding variables into one study. On the other hand, non-probabilistic methods can serve important purposes, such as helping an investigator to access populations that wouldn't necessarily be accessible. Non-probabilistic sampling can also help to get a research project off the ground quickly. For example, when participants are convenient and can be enlisted to take part rapidly. Well, we've only touched the surface with sampling, but I hope that understanding the two main types of sampling can provide you with a good sense about whether you need to use a probabilistic method or whether a non-probabilistic one will work just fine for your good research. I'll be with you again for another episode of Good Research. Many thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Research. To find more episodes like this, go to www clovepress.com and click on the resource link. Have a great day.